My late dad loved to say that the two best days owning a boat are the day you buy it, followed very closely by the day you actually sell it. And he absolutely loved his damn boat. It had two bedrooms, so at times he was living on it. He'd sleep on it. He'd eat on it. He'd take a shower on it occasionally. Uh, and some of his best memories, he was on that boat wearing his captain's hat, soaking up sun and American light lager by the boatload. And uh, that damn thing was a financial black hole that laughed just about every time he threw a thousand bucks at it. It took whatever he had to give and just sadistically demanded more. Just bared its ugly teeth and said, what? That's all you got, old man? To me, that sounds a hell of a lot like owning a brewery. Many of you already know that my wife and I sold our first company back in 2011. We had made some cash and we decided to invest it in starting our own little brewery the same year. We were handing off a business that had eight locations, 30 employees, and literally thousands of contracted customers. So we fully expected to transition into a quieter, more easily managed lifestyle. So it should have come as a relief. Surprisingly, it was not. I was stressed like a fat boy's button flies at a ball game. The day the wire transfer hit our bank, I was paralyzed by worries about how best to allocate our new pile of money. The plan was to pay things off, invest in growing the pile of money bigger, and set up our lives on the back half for comfort and security. The feeling was almost worse than having no money at all because I was terrified that I'd park it in the wrong place. It'd lose value to inflation or buying some Bernie Madoff fanboy a new house or Jaguar or whatever it is he's into these days. Uh, there's no way we were going to go work as hard as we had over those last few years, sacrifice as much as we did, and then still wind up having to struggle in some shitty nine to five. So I opened a brewery. Um, and the first few years were actually kind of great. I mean, we, we had learned new skills. We gained new perspectives. We had ample access to more beer than I could ever drink. And we had production issues, of course, like every brewery did, but they led to quality issues and then obviously led to distributor issues and led to consumer issues. But with only 1,500 breweries in the United States, we actually had a little runway to iron the creases out. We had some time, we had a little bit of flexibility, and eventually we did actually get all those things smoothed out and we started moving along in a fair clip, which is right about the time the number of breweries in the United States grew by 5X, which while the market share of the craft beer industry ticked up just a measly percent or two, those numbers don't really work out, at least in our favor from a business perspective. So like any small brewery own business owners, we took our fair share of punches. Uh, some to the body, we took a change up to the head, and even some truly violent ones to the groin. But in business, you learn not only to take a punch, but to deflect it. And after long enough, you learn to anticipate it and definitely parry to line up for a counter. Sometimes the truly big ones will still make it through anyone's defenses. And it is those five big catastrophic blows that finally added up to too much, finally motivated us to sell, and finally got us to the point that I am at today, which we'll get to in a minute. So catastrophe number one. Nano sucks. Before we had the chance to send our first year's QuickBooks file to the accountant, we actually shut the whole brewery down, like six months in. We had opened and closed the doors the first time with a two-barrel Franken system. And there's a shitload that I can say about that system. None of it's going to be good. And I've already said it all in my book, so go read that. But we came here to, we had come here to make great beer, so we acted quickly and we acted aggressively. We ripped everything out of the building, literally floor to ceiling, uh, we transferred a bigger pile of money to our brewery bank account, of course, so that we could afford to order a 15-barrel system. Um, you've everything in there, fermenters, pumps. It was a great system. But back then, the lead times were atrocious, so we had to wait like nine months just sitting there, waiting, spending, waiting, spending. Of course, thankfully, we had all that personal money to pay rent with during that time. And people love to say that you have to have money to make money. Sure you do. But you also have to have money to lose money, and you also have to have money to break even. But what we didn't know then was that this whole experience of having to spend all of this money and pivot was just the first of many pivots that we were going to be required just to stay in business. 
each was going to require us to pull a chunk of capital and lose a couple of hairs. And so just like when you loan your little sister lunch money, the brewery never had any intention of paying any of it back. So ultimately, that was a catastrophe in itself. But catastrophe number two, farmhouse beers get put in a rear naked ch chokehold nationwide. So in 2017, about six years after we opened, uh, we went full mixed culture, uh, completely farmhouse. We no longer bought yeast from a lab. We had our own proprietary yeast that we grew and cultured and used that for 100% of our beers. And there's a few reasons why we did it. One, I really, really like making and drinking those styles of beers. That's art. Um, I love Pilsners. I completely appreciate the balance, the character, the crispness, just the drinkability of it. But also, it's it's the amount, the way you can make it interesting in such a simple um, and, and clean, put together beer. But it isn't the same art to me as a mixed culture beer, aged in a barrel, blended, um, you know, the, just the risk side of it. And so the, that's where my passion lied is in that style of beer. Should have done it until 2011 when we opened, but I didn't. So 2017, we did. And um, the second reason, most breweries at the time that were doing mixed culture beers were essentially doing them by accident. They'd either accidentally had something get infected in, in a tank, I'd heard of, or in a barrel, and just decided to sell it because it quote unquote tasted good. But when it came to that, I knew that I had enough experience, I had read enough about the art and science of it, that I could produce something memorable in a unique and interesting, unique and interesting way. Excuse me. As a broader, and then number three, as a broader craft beer market swelled uncontrollably, mixed culture beer was an underrepresented niche segment. So that was a place to go, a place to hide instead of trying to make the same IPA that 400 other breweries in the state of Texas were making. I could make something that maybe two or three other people were making. So for another year or so, the market actually still got weak in the knees for fancy, well-made, dry, mixed culture pieces of liquid art. We maintained shelf space. We actually grew on-premise placements at better bars and restaurants, and we grew to a five-state distribution footprint from San Diego to Miami. But soon after, sour beers that aren't sour took the American beer market by force of will. You know, the ones that have so much fruit and unfermented sugar in them that the lower pH is barely perceptible because it's buried under a mound of actual calories and potential cavities. Yeah, fruited sour beer, to the extent that it's not fermented out and dry, is no longer sour. The, 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 it's unperceptible. So then the customer decided that not having to think about beer is way better than being told about time, place, and circumstance. So the sour beer replaced the traditionally produced beautiful beer. And I started sounding like grandpa when I talked about the old days of an educated, inspired beer consumers. They didn't want to hear what we had to say. And obviously, I'm not the only brewery in the country that made that style of beer that had that struggle, but I'm the only one that's talking about it today. So before I try to tell me that there's some BS about how XX Brewery down the street still sells mixed culture beer, just remember the most important thing that I try to get home to every single person over and over. You are not their accountant. You have not seen their books. The most well-known mixed culture brewers in the country are selling Pilsners and Hazy IPAs now. Think about that. I haven't seen it, but I'm positive there's a sour seltzer out there somewhere too. Hope to God it doesn't actually come out, but who knows? So while transitioning from pure culture beer to mixed culture beer was a financially draining pivot, it was nothing compared to the slow and insidious acquisition of inventory. So most of my beers took eight to 12 months to produce. So my production schedule was frustratingly slow to react to changing market conditions. If I brewed something in January, it's a really good chance that I wasn't releasing that beer until the following January, maybe even the following summer, sometimes within six months. But it's very challenging at that point to adjust the quantity of the beer, the price point of the beer, the costs. Um, there's just there's a lot going on there that is very challenging with that style. Um, not that it's any easier for the guys today. They're making beers that deplete in six weeks, but 
because um, e for sure equally challenging. So catastrophe three, bombers finally died in 2019. So they had a good run. Uh, margins were solid. The beer aged slower, subtler, and better. But any monkey with a spreadsheet and abacus can see why it made no sense for retailers to support a product that took up three times the shelf space, cost three to five times more, and then sold 10 times slower than 12-ounce cans. It just doesn't make any sense. And I get it. So we were heavily invested in large format because it presented better, aged gracefully, and retained the margins that we needed to remain a low-production brewery. But I find the market finally said no, and I had no choice. So I did what I had to do. I bought a six-head Maheen bottling line, and I used it to reformat all my big beers into small 12-ounce stubby bottles. No, I did not say cans. And like everything else, new, flashy, and exciting, the production did grow steadily month after month, right up until the time that it didn't. So catastrophe four, failed IPA in the spring of 2021. So sales of our flagship pickle beer, yes, I know, I'm also embarrassed about it, died a violent death in the late fall of 2020. There's a variety of reasons for it. Um, we'll talk about that another time. But at that point, I knew I needed something else. So I met with my distributors towards the end of the summer, and we needed to target a new pathway forward because it was obvious that we were over-focused on this one product. Had a lot of different variants, and we were obvious, but we were over-focused on the pickle beer and the pickle variants to the point that we were not only susceptible to market changes, but just month over month, depletions were just going to be a challenge to keep going. So we needed something else. And so when I met with the distributors, they all said they were on board verbally, but of course, nothing changed in practice the next month after the meeting. I needed a product that could demand shelf space at retail and still go down customers' throats smoothly enough to fill up line items and bar taps. I needed a bone-dried hazy, bone hazy IPA. So I do what many brewery owners have done. I made a beer I do not like, a style I do not believe in. I sold my creative soul in an embarrassing attempt to keep my brewery open. I still maintain that you don't want me making your IPA any more than you want Golden, Gordon Ramsay raising your teenage daughter. Think about that one. But I did not want to fail more than I did want, didn't want to make an IPA. So the rest is history. The problem is that I'm not in, any more inspired than I am experienced at crafting hazy bitter slop. So I used Centennial in the dry hop because the overly tropical citra with Cascades support was out of balance for my palate. And I wanted a bit of tininess to give it a bottom note. Kind of like the minerality in a Dignier white wine balanced with that acidity and fruit character, it makes a more interesting drink for me. But after three days, the hops gave the beer some weird savory note that was too far off the mark I'd set for the beer. And so I didn't like it. And I wasn't about to hang my future on its adoption by the market. So I killed it. And with it, maybe my last chance to get the attention of my distribution partners or the craft beer fans outside my little niche I'd settled my brewery into. But catastrophe five, city governments. It's a good one. So we were, and the new, new owners still are, located in a quaint little historic downtown. It's awesome. You can come down. It's a great day trip. You can walk the streets with a beer. You can shop. You can grab a snack. You can come back for a refill, snap, go back and shop, come back, grab a growler, and go home. And so summers, obviously, are when our tasting room just shined. July's sales would usually double January's, as would June and August. Our summers would set the tone for the financial success of the entire year. So more traffic, of course, leads to more sales over our bar at the tasting room with the higher margins, but it also increases demand around the state when our new fans trek back to their home market. Oh, but not in 2021. Nope, our little city decided it was high time, the year after COVID, that they ripped up the street in every direction which of course deterred walking traffic as much as it blocked driving traffic. And that was bad enough. But once they nicked some sewage lines, they essentially 
murdered the downtown experience. So from May to August 2021, our sales were 45% of 2019 numbers, and that's pre-COVID. But during the same time, we struggled to get our distributors to pay attention to our brand, like everybody, but we were since we didn't have the success in the tasting room, it was even tougher for us. The shit was not only seeping out of the sewage lines in front of our brewery, it was now hitting the proverbial fan. So it's in these moments that I think any responsible business owner, including me, uh, looks at your current revenue and profit, and you start to rework your operating budget based on a realistic prediction of the future. If you can't find a legitimate pathway to profitability, you pull the fucking plug. Anything else is living in a fantasy world. And as James Cameron famously said while shooting the highest grossing movie of all time, hope is not a strategy. So it was then that we knew we'd had enough. I listed the brewery in July 2021 for sale on ProBrewer, and there were, of course, smaller, more manageable catastrophic moments peppered in between these big ones, some interesting, some not, but like the distributor stealing $8,000 from us in California, uh, like the other distributor that went out of business, or actually, I mean, all four of them that went out of business, product recalls, the employee theft, shipping delays, dump batch of beers, our family's house burning down. Well, that may have been a big one, but um, all of that stuff happened and just came to a point where we were done. So the sale of the brewery closed on a typically hot Texas blistering Friday in the afternoon in, in early September, like the third or fourth. It was Saturday morning. I was antsy by 8.30. I didn't want to do anything on my computer, no typing, no writing, no Facebooking. I didn't want to lay around and watch a movie. I didn't want to get drunk. So I just ended up driving around listening to ska music with my windows down. I never would go, but I needed to get the hell out of the house. So I had sold this company, this brewery that I had spent 10 years building for 6% of what I sold my first company for. And I felt pleasure in a way I had forgotten how to. I was light. I was easy. I think I was even happy. And so as the mighty, mighty Boston screamed out about knocking on wood, I realized I didn't have any regrets. I had been through the ringer and then rerun through it a few more times. I had taken so many punches that I didn't even flinch when I was struck anymore. Maybe I'd gotten calluses. Maybe I was just delusional. Maybe I was completely fucking insane. But even after living under the oppressive weight and struggle of failure and pain for nearly a decade, somehow I was miraculously and almost immediately unburdened. I've sat in meditation many times trying to achieve this state of chill. And for a few moments, a few times, I've even felt myself slide into it. It's that space where the impression of self dissolves into the interconnected experience of everything and nothing at the same time. It's bliss. It took us the first time, it took us eight years to build a company worth millions. Then it took us 10 years to build a company that nearly lost us a million. But our family earned a huge windfall, not financially, but emotionally, not bank accounts, but a better life. The things we, the things the money we got from the first business couldn't add to our lives, the emotional lightness of selling this one did. We sold our damn brewery to be happy again. And damn it, I think we actually are.